brought to you by the students of Mary Persons High School in conjunction with MPTV. This is Monroe County Schools Radio, exclusively on Magic 100 FM. I'm your host, Carrie Buckendale. In this week's episode, get the ins and outs of the Mary Persons High School Band program. Hear what happens both on the field and in the classroom. And what's the difference between a school visitor and a volunteer? Learn when you need the volunteer training and badge and when you don't. First, Mary Persons High School has an award-winning band program. Our students compete on superior levels at competition and put on an amazing show on the football field. Mary Persons Junior, Emmy Starr, sat down with our band directors for an in-depth look at the program. Hey everyone, I'm Emmy Starr from MPTV. One of the highlights of Friday nights, other than the football team, cheerleaders, and the run-through signs, is the awesome Bulldog Brigade. I'm here with band directors Milo Benson, Natalie Klein, and Stephen Braswell to look more into how the band prepares and plans in order to play so well on Friday nights. How do you determine the halftime show theme each year? And can you tell us a little bit about this year specifically? For me, actually trying to come up with a halftime show theme is one of the hardest parts of my job for some reason. That's just something I've always found to be kind of challenging, but... Typically, we try to find uh, interesting themes that we've either uh, seen before, or some themes that we feel like we can, cre- you know, we can find four or five songs that will fit into that theme. That will be a good collaboration of songs. Um, for instance, this year, as we decided to go with uh, "Life as a Highway" is the theme of the show, and so we were looking at songs that sort of dealt with driving or being on the highway, and so which included the songs "Born to Be Wild," "Driver's License." Um, getaway car, uh, life in the fast lane, and of course, uh, life is, is a highway. When you go to competition, how many areas or divisions are being scored, and how does that work? So at competitions, there's two categories that we're generally scored in as a band as a whole, and that's um, our visual component and our musical component. And then within the band, there's um, our drum majors are scored, um, percussion, and then our auxiliary, which is our visual ensemble within our program. How does having an elementary and middle school band program help with the high school band? Having an elementary and middle school band program greatly impacts the high school band. Uh, We've seen a high increase of recruitment at the high school band level, and because we start so young, we definitely see an increase in the quality of the student as they get older and grow through the program. How many students are in the Bulldog Brigade this year, and how do you keep them all on task during practices? This year we have 105 students marching in the Bulldog Brigade. That also includes our drum majors and our visual ensemble. Um, it's a little bit down from last year, but considering how many band programs across the nation dropped significantly, significantly after COVID, uh, we're happy to have only uh, dropped down about five in terms of our overall number. But we're also looking to, uh, to grow next year uh, with this uh, new incoming class of uh, eighth graders that we're going to be welcoming. Um, but with all of them out there at practices, you know, there's certain things that we try to do to keep them on task. You know, first we tried to um, break this the rehearsal up into different segments as much as possible just to help keep their attention spans uh, moving across different things so they don't get too bored. 
Um, but then also a, a lot of it just comes down to setting certain um, requirements and expectations in our handbook that the students sign and agree to follow. And uh, we just have to instill consequences for students who um, don't feel like being on task or doing what they're supposed to be doing. And luckily that's something that uh, with the exception of just a few times throughout the year, we uh, luckily don't have too many issues with. What is middle school night and when is it this year? Middle School Band Night is an opportunity for our 7th and 8th graders to come and try out High School Marching Band. They have the option to join Marching Band as a rising 8th grader, but they're also able to join as a rising ninth grader. Um, so they get to come to the high school and they have a buddy in the marching band that kind of um, is their partner and their friend and leads them through the night. Um, they have dinner, they get a t-shirt and they get to pretty much just experience a football game as a member of the marching band. Um, and that is on October 22nd this year. How can people best support the band program? People can support the band by simply getting crazy in the stands when the band's performing during the halftime show. We also need corporate sponsors uh, to help provide for the students in many ways financially. And on top of that, we could also use a lot of help in the concession stands of the football games as well. Who is the voice of the Bulldog Brigade? And can you give us a sample? The voice of the Bulldog Brigade here for the last five, six, seven, going on maybe eight years is actually our elementary school band director, uh, Mr. Stephen Braswell. And uh, any given Friday night, you might hear him say something like, Bulldog Brigade! Not all kids participate in the marching band, but do have the opportunity to be in band class. Here's some information about how they run classes from each school. How does band class function at each level? Even though scheduling and general sort of formatting of the band classes might be a little bit different between elementary, middle, and high school, um, in essence, the classes are, are usually the same. Um, we usually always try to start out with uh, a warm-up period where we're working on fundamentals and having the students gain and improve those uh, basic elements of performing that help them to play better. Um, we'll usually um, you know, include a lot of rhythm studies and things like that to help them with their ability to read music. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a good chunk of the time is spent uh, rehearsing through uh, the music that we're preparing for the next concert. So going through those pieces, uh, taking sections out, and uh, just working through them to improve uh, the notes and the rhythms, how it sounds, uh, how we play it together as a band, just to create the most polished product that we can for um, our concerts. How do students select their instruments? When students are getting ready to begin at the elementary school level, Mr. Braswell um, we'll typically take a, a portion of the school year at the beginning of the year and uh, go through with the students and talk about fundamentals and basics of how to play each instrument. And then uh, essentially the kids get to try out each instrument. And uh, between a combination of the skills that they display for each instrument, um, certain physical characteristics that may make them more suitable for certain instruments, um, and, of course, trying to get their input on which instruments they enjoy the most and would want to play. Uh, we kind of take all of those elements together and come up with uh, an instrument that, A, we hope the student will enjoy and will be able to find success on, but also, B, uh, that we will be able to uh, 
um, create a balanced ensemble so that way we don't have uh, 85 trumpets, two flutes, and no clarinets or something like that. So we have to kind of keep the ensemble in mind as well. What are the different levels of the band in high school? Programs at different schools can treat it a little bit differently, but here at Mary Persons, we essentially have two um, concert band ensembles or classes. Um, the first one is our concert band, is what we officially call it. Um, it's usually primarily um, lower classmen, definitely a lot of our freshmen, sophomore, and in some cases, junior and senior students. Um, but uh, this ensemble does not require any type of audition or anything like that. Um, but, uh, so these students will typically play music that's typically around, um, somewhere between a grade two and a half to four and a half or five, just depending on the ability level of the ensemble within that year. Um, and in general, these tend to be, uh, some of our more inexperienced players, um, who are really still kind of grasping certain fundamentals and, and things like that. On the uh, flip side, our other ensemble that meets during third block is what we call our symphonic band. And um, this is sort of our quote-unquote cream of the crop. Um, this is a audition-based ensemble. So in order for the students to, to be a part, they must um, audition. It's also usually a, a little bit of a smaller group as well. Um, but these students are the ones who definitely have a, a, a tighter grasp on uh, their playing abilities Many of these are students that are trying out for honor bands each year, uh, our leadership team within the marching band program, and uh, these students are typically playing music that falls between grades three all the way up to grade six, which is uh, pretty much professional or collegiate-based literature at that point. Um, so, but both groups are, are a lot of fun to work with. They each pose their own challenges and have their own uh, ups, upsides, and um, we just look forward to... Um, not really necessarily focusing on what level each group is starting at, but more so the progress that they make throughout the year. Do students often switch instruments or play multiple instruments? At times, students um, may switch instruments. Typically, you're going to find that happening more at the elementary and middle school levels when they don't have quite as much experience on any given instrument. But once they really start getting into, into middle school and especially in high school, um, we typically do not allow students to um, switch instruments just because once you do, you're almost to a degree starting over from square zero. And uh, it can be difficult and um, a little discouraging when a student is trying to learn an instrument all over again and they're playing music that is uh, technically, you know, for players who have been playing their instruments for multiple years and they're surrounded by students who've been playing their instrument for multiple years and so they can get behind and it can be a little discouraging. So uh, we try to encourage the students to uh, really pick instruments that they're going to be able to stick with early on so that way we can avoid that. But at times... You know, if, if 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 an instrument is not working out for say one of our fourth or fifth graders, then yes, we can find an uh, a suitable replacement, especially if they're a really good kid and we want to keep them in the program. Um, you know, we'll try to find an instrument that they can play and find more success on that'll help to create a better experience for them. Um, now, as far as students playing multiple instruments, yes, um, we do have some students who play non-band instruments in addition to their band uh, instruments. So, for instance. 
we might have a trumpet player who also plays piano or guitar or drum set or something like that on the side. But in some cases, we do have students who uh, really kind of take it upon themselves and go above and beyond to just learn multiple band instruments. Um, for instance, for instance, one of our students this year, um, Nick Turner, um, is is a clarinet player in our concert or our symphonic band. Um, but he was playing bass guitar in our jazz band. Uh, he played bass guitar for marching band for a little bit this year and then wanted to start actually learning the sousaphone, which is essentially our tuba, our marching bass instrument, and has since started playing um, sousaphone. Um, with jazz band, since uh, we, don't, we don't typically find uh, a certain portion of our band instruments like uh, French horns, um, baritones, tubas, and things like that in a traditional big band uh, jazz setting, some of these instruments, uh, excuse me, some of these students do uh, tend to learn a secondary instrument in order for them to be able to participate in jazz band, which is pretty cool. And how many concerts do you have each year, and when is the next one? At the high school, we typically have um, four concerts a year. Uh, we'll do one in the fall, which is typically just our fall concert. Typically, we'll try to have a little bit of a spooky Halloween-type-based theme with that, or at least we've been able to do that for the last few years. Um, and then in December, we'll have our holiday concert. And the early spring or winter, typically around February, March, that's when we're focusing on uh, LGPE, which is our large group performance evaluation. Um, that's kind of the quote-unquote standardized testing for band where uh, we prepare a concert with music that has to be from a pre-selected list of, of approved uh, literature. And then we work up these pieces. We typically bring in um, clinicians to come in and work with the kids. We have a Saturday symphonic camp where the kids meet up on a Saturday to um, do sectionals and get extra help on this music. So we really kind of spend a lot of extra time uh, preparing these songs because we go and play them for a panel of judges and we actually kind of get rated and graded on how well we play. Um, and of course, we always try to get all superior ratings throughout every category on the score sheet. Um, so it takes a lot of extra effort. And so um, if you see band directors uh, a little bit frazzled around March, just uh, just look the other way. Um, but then uh, we typically kind of decompress from all of that stress in May and April with our spring concert, which is where we'll typically do more quote unquote, um, you know, kid friendly fun music. You know, we'll, uh, for instance, last year we had a Disney theme. Uh, we might do movie music or uh, just fun pieces, pop selections, things like that, that the kids really enjoy and can have fun with, but uh, still challenge them musically. Um, right now we've already had our fall concert for the year. But our next concert um, for the high school is going to be on December 9th. That's a Thursday, and that'll be our holiday concert. And the middle school concert will be two nights before on the 7th. And the elementary band concert, um, let me double check here, I believe, is the 16th. Yes, so a week after ours, Thursday the 16th will be the elementary band concert. So come on out to the Fine, Fine Arts Center. Uh, we all usually get started around 630 and come support the kids. Thank you so much for interviewing with me. I'm Emmy Starr from MPTV, and I hope you all have a great day. Thanks, Emmy. Again, you can catch the Middle School Holiday Band Concert on Tuesday, December 7th. The Mary Persons Holiday Concert just two days later on December 9th, 
and the elementary band concert on December 16th. All three concerts will take place at the Fine Arts Center. Four Monroe County schools qualify as Title I schools, but what exactly does that mean? For more on our Title I program, including the parent engagement requirements, I spoke with Sandy Caldwell, Director of Assessments, CTAE, and Federal Programs. All right, Ms. Caldwell, for starters, tell us a little bit about what you do now that you've come back to Monroe County Schools. Okay, great. Glad, I'm glad to be back. Uh, I am Director of Assessment, CTAE, and Federal Programs, and so in that position, I oversee all of the assessments for the system. Now, I also oversee um, CTAE from the district level, and then I oversee federal programs, which includes Title I. All right, that's specifically what we want to talk about today are the federal programs in Title I. So for starters, what exactly is Title I? Okay, so Title I involves federal funds that uh, school districts receive because they have at least 40% of their students receiving free and reduced lunch. So for Monroe County, we have all of our three middle, uh, all of our three elementary schools, excuse me, um, designated as Title I, and then we have our middle school designated as Title I. Now with Title I, there are certain requirements that you have to make, and I know some of that involves volunteers and parent engagement. So can you talk to us a little bit about, first of all, parent engagement in this district? Absolutely, so parent engagement is huge with Title I. Um, parents and families are an essential part of a child's development during school, so because we receive those federal funds, we are required to make sure that we have a bridge that connects families and children with the schools. Um, so we have two parent and family engagement specialists that serve our district. We have Ms. Brandy Pye, and she serves KB Sutton and Hubbard Elementary, and then we have new to this school year, Ms. Connie Tane and she serves T.G. Scott and Monroe County Middle School. And why is it so important for parents to be involved in their child's education? Well, research shows that when a, a, a parent and family is engaged with their students, then their students tend to do better. So that's our goal is to make sure that our students have the best education experience possible. So we make sure that we include parents and family in that process. So part of that process is to at some point have parents and families to come into the school. All right, and with that, you know, we've recently re-allowed visitors and volunteers into the building, which is huge for our schools. But there has been some confusion, you know, am I a visitor? Am I a volunteer? Can you kind of break it down for us on who does what? Absolutely. So there is a difference between a visitor and a volunteer. Vis a visitor normally uh, doesn't supervise the students. They don't have direct contact with the students and then they're not involved in supervising the students. Some examples that I would include as far as visitors are concerned would be uh, a parent or um, a grandparent or a family member coming in for field day or coming to eat lunch with their child or visiting their, their child's class or grade or maybe some school program during the day. Um, another example would be maybe class parties. And so as part of that, they don't have to receive, um, they don't have to go through the formal background check process, but they do have to um, check in with the front office and at that point it performs a basic background check. Now a volunteer is more involved. A volunteer is a person who does have direct interaction with the students um, with or without other adults present. Um, that would include direct interaction off campus as well 
um, for instance, like um, overnight field trips and those types of things. Volunteers also work one-on-one -on -one with the students on a regular basis. Um, they volunteer to provide instructional assistance or be chaperones during school activities. So some examples of a volunteer would be a chaperone, um, someone who works with students in the classroom. For instance, we have our Readers to Leaders program where um, parents or grandparents or other family members could come in and um, work with children during guided reading time. Um, another example of a volunteer would be working on teacher projects in the parent room or other designated areas, maybe helping out in the media center, going on field trips, uh, assisting PTO or PTA with projects during the school day. They also must check in at the front office, but they also have an, some additional steps that they have to uh, go through in order to be a volunteer. They have to clear a criminal background check, uh, clear an FBI fingerprint background check. They have to clear the national and state sex offender registry check. And then they have to complete our mandated reporter training, which is an online training that um, you can access through our website, either at the school level or at the district level. There's a button on uh, the front of every page. And so they click that button and it takes them through an online video where they learn about the mandated reporter process. Once they complete that process, they take a short quiz and then it generates a Google form that's sent to the central office. After they've done that part, they have to go to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office to complete their background check process. And then once the district office receives that information back, their ID badge, which um, identifies them as having gone through this process, is sent to the schools that they've chosen that they will like to volunteer. At, and then um, they are notified that their ID badge is ready. So um, to be a visitor is kind of just kind of walking in and staying a little while, not serving in a supervisory role, but a volunteer is a much more involved process. And um, it is actually where you do have some one-on-one -on -one direct supervisory uh, contact with students. All right, last question. If I want to be a volunteer, do I have to have a kid enrolled in the school? Absolutely not. We welcome all volunteers. We have lots of volunteers that don't have children in school. They just like working with students. So we appreciate all of our volunteers. And if you have any additional questions, you can check our websites either at the district level or the school level. Ms. Caldwell, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It has been a pleasure. On Friday nights, this community loves to go to the pit to watch our Bulldogs take the field. And one of the highlights of the night is the creative run-through signs that our Spirit Squad cheerleaders make each week. But how do they come up with those fun and timely quotes for the sign? Let's find out. Hey, I'm Amaya Webb, a senior at MPHS, and I'm going to be interviewing Coach Jennifer Webb. What is your name? Jen Webb. How many years have you coached? This is my seventh year. How do you prepare a new group to learn how to make the signs? It's a pretty tedious process because you have to um, go through every single step that's necessary. Um, how to plan the, what the signs will say, um, get potential designs for the sign, um, also teaching them how to measure the paper, how to cut the paper, tape the paper, and how to hang the paper up to prepare um, the sign to be traced. 
um, we rely heavily on the upperclassmen um, for this to train the younger girls how to do these steps. What is the process of making the run-through signs? Um, so, as I said before, um, we first start with ordering the supplies. There's a ton of paper that goes into um, making the run-through signs. Um, so, we have to um, order the supplies, um, the paper, the paint, markers, tape. Um, um, after we do that, then the girls are tasked with coming up with sign ideas. We try to let them come up with all the ideas for the signs um, since it is student-centered. Um, after we do that, we create a design um, that we have to um, enlarge so the girls can trace the lettering in any pictures that's involved and then they have to paint the sign. How long does it usually take to finish the sign? From start to finish it usually takes about four to six hours. When the sign goes up on Friday nights no one knows what to expect. How do you keep this element of surprise? It is explained to the girls at the beginning of the season that this is a secret activity that we participate in. Um, and the girls understand that this is not anything that we share with the public and it's something, just information that's kept between us. Um, so it is an element of surprise for all the people in the stands on Friday night. Okay, thank you. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Franklin and I'm here with Jake Causey who is the leader of the student section. What's a Friday like at the dog pound? The dog pound? Okay, so the dog pound is the name of the student section. Uh, we kind of, you know, every every school kind of has like their little thing that they call it, every good school. Um, a Friday, so it starts off, you know, being high throughout the day. Uh, at school, being excited, getting everyone, making sure they're going to the game, seeing, getting a head count, uh, and then we we get there. You know, the seniors, me, Jason, Sydney, uh, and Asher, we we all get there early, around uh, five five thirty. So we're there for the gates to open, and then yeah, it's just it's really hyped in the student section. So that's what a Friday's like. And if we have to go to Walmart to get anything, we go there before the game. So yeah. What's your secret to coming up with themes? Coming up with themes, uh, I just kind of do it. I look at everyone and I'm thinking, who can do what? You know, can can everyone do this theme? So you know, some everyone has a different style, but a theme is just you know one style. We try to get every you know try to add a little bit more fun to it. Uh, ours are kind of basic this year. I mean, we have some twists like Outer Banks, which that was a central game, so not many people went to it. But all the others uh, we had like country uh we had or old west we had old west and then we had some uh some colors like pink uh black we have another blackout like a scary blackout for jackson uh just wearing like purge masks and stuff like that so yeah 
those, I mean, it's just making sure everyone can do it. How do you keep everyone motivated and organized? Uh, motivated, I just turn around and I kind of like sometimes while we're cheering, I'll just like take a break while everyone else is loud. Look at the back really um, to see really the freshmen and sophomores just to make sure that they're still loud and involved. Because honestly, you just need to go sit with your mom. If you're in the student station, that's like the spirit squad. So that's who is supposed to stay hyped the whole game. Uh, as far as staying organized, I have, you know, I run the Twitter uh, and I post that on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, on Snapchat, I have a dog pound story, like a group story and like group chat kind of thing. So yeah, I post all like announcements in there, make sure that, uh, see what everyone can get. Uh, if we're painting up, I make sure that, like I tell people what order to stand in so we can spell stuff out. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, all it takes. And then we have to choose another leader next year. So the juniors, they all need to just step it up because we only got like two people that we can think of right now. All right, well, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, we want to congratulate Mary Person's own Sarah Alford for being named a finalist for Georgia's Assistant Principal of the Year. The winner will be announced at a luncheon on November 15th. Good luck, Ms. Alford. Way to be a champ. Thank you for tuning in to Monroe County Schools Radio exclusively on Magic 100 FM. Have a great week. Remember to be a champ. And as always, go dogs. The thoughts expressed in this segment represent Monroe County Schools.